Hi, Nora. Hi, Daddy. How are you? Good. Good. Hey, what kind of music do you like? Mmm, marshmallow. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, lift off. Welcome to Beyond the Band. My guest today is a super talented singer-songwriter who, in addition to writing and performing originals, has probably the most versatile and expansive repertoire of cover songs I have ever seen. And as a one-man band, he's the busiest local musician I know, performing hundreds of shows per year, but also plays with Jeff Kay in the Overtones and in the guitar duo State of Jeff with Jeff Stanley. Jeff Kletzel, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to stop by. You actually, I was commenting uh, before we cracked the mics here that you actually don't have a gig today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I, I like having a day off here and there. That's awfully nice for the voice. No kidding. Yeah, you know, I'm amazed by... How did you get to the point where you can do so many shows? Because I get, I get, you know, and I, I'm working on it. I'm trying to, you know, less, I've never had lessons and stuff. And after one show, I need a couple days to recover. But you're doing sometimes four or five shows a week sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it, so how do you keep up the durability? It starts adding up. Um, well, there's a couple of things that go into that, I think. First of all, I think the I think the vocal cords are more like a muscle. So the more you train them repeatedly over and over and over again, they, they probably get a little more strong, a little more resilient, maybe a little more liquid in some ways, you know, a little easier um, timing to get through things or whatnot. Um, tr- I try to be pretty diligent about taking care of the voice, too. I started off as just a guitar player. I didn't even sing in public till I was 30. So oh. singing was a much later thing. And it took me a little more time, I think, to get to um, to a point where I was comfortable enough with it that I started really doing it more often. But being here in the Valley, uh, the workload has just been fairly steadily, slowly growing along the way. And um, um, so I really have to, I find that I have to take care of it fairly uh, consistently. And, you know, I drink several cups of tea every morning. I drink a, at least a cup of tea when I come home from a gig at the end of the night. And I'm more of a... An extrovert, an introvert, I guess. I come home at the end of the day. I don't. I have, there's no noise at home. I don't have music on. It's just quiet, and I don't have to talk. I don't have to use my voice. Yeah, I can get some throat lozenge and some tea in there or whatever. And sleep is a key, too. Getting enough sleep mm. seems to be a key for recovering anything in the body. So same yeah. with the voice. So. What, uh, what about exercise? Do you? Uh, what do you do for exercise to... Uh... I'm a little, I'm a bit of a gym Nazi, I guess. Okay. I'm, I go to the gym about six days a week. And okay. I do a yeah. little, little cardio um, and a lot of weight stuff. And, uh, so that's got to help. I think so. I think, yeah. I mean, you're, you know, I think this expands your rib cage and, and mm-hmm. your diaphragm and everything else probably helps to have a, a positive benefit on your, on your singing voice as well. Yeah. Imagine your voice, but Absolutely. plus it's nice to get that aspect. You can let go of some things there. It's a little bit of a stress manager of oh, sorts because sure. stress can have a big effect on your voice as well. So. Yeah. And you're by yourself. That's the other thing. You don't, uh, yeah. most of the time you're by right. yourself. So, you know, if I get, if I start feeling a little tired at a gig or something, I could always point to somebody and they can, hey, Chris, play Pride and Joy or something, right. you know, but. Take um, a longer solo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the other thing is, you know, you're, you're doing, um, you do a lot of two hour Two to three, yeah. pretty much is everything. Yeah. Yeah, certainly more so two-hour shows. Yeah. Um, 
And, but there I got, you know, a th- certainly several threes a week too, mm. um, sometimes, or not a week, but a month and sometimes a couple threes in the, in the same week. And right. that's a little more taxing on the voice. So, I mean, when I have to do a two hour show, I usually don't even take a break. Oh, wow. But for yeah. three hours, I'm going to take some breaks because that's, yep. that's a lot as a solo act. And, mm-hmm. you know, as when you're trying to hold down the song, you can't just throw in a, a solo and the song falls apart when you, yeah. when you drop out your guitar rhythm part. So that's the benefit of you know playing with somebody you can you know some ebb and flow and some singing duties you know shared and plus some solos taking up a little bit of time to give your voice a little bit of a break right do you it's so interesting because you know i think in some ways being a solo act it makes it easier probably to book gigs you only have yourself to worry about um, there is that, yeah. you, you don't take up as much space, right. you don't have to split what you earn with anybody else. Right. right. Um, but, but as far as the actual performing, do you, do you prefer to be with a, a full band setup, or do you kind of like the, the solo gig? What do you have a preference even? You know, there, there's certainly benefits to, to each. I mean, the solo thing, the benefit is, uh, bands sometimes can become dysfunctional families. And sure. You're never sure who's going to show up or not show up on time or who forgot that one key element that, you know, makes the PA work or whatever. So I know when I'm going to a gig, a solo show, it's all on me. So, right. and, and I keep my, my, all my gigging gear in one place, all stacked up in a, in a you know, kind of a Jenga puzzle. And yeah. I know when those pieces are back in the car, I know things are going to be there that right. I need. So that, so that, I think that gives me a little more peace of mind. I know I just get that pile, that whole stack goes in the car and I got everything I need. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, the benefit of playing with other people is, you know, that's a little more magic there when, when, uh, sure. when you blend, you know, the, the sum of the parts is often bigger than, mm-hmm. or, you know, than the sum of the parts. Right. Right. <laughs> However, that's how's that saying go again? Right. The sum of the holes or the, yeah. some of the holes bigger than, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah. whether it's just harmonies or unique harmonies or, you know, amazing solo or a rhythmic change that happens that just gets dialed in and takes the song somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the band and duo thing is great that way. And duo is certainly a little easier on the voice. Band, mm. as it's, to me, is harder on the voice. It's harder to sing over a band than it is. Mm. I mean, I can... I'll sing three hours solo, and, and that's way easier in my voice than two hours with the band, sure. even with the solos. But, you know, the, the volume level ramps up, the energy level ramps up, and you push more and yeah. a little more uh, taxing on the throat. So. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think um, it's interesting, too. You know, I I feel blessed that we are – our band is acoustic, and our percussionist is playing the cajon instead of a full kit. Right. Because so you, yeah. that's a big deal, not having to sing over a full kit. Yeah, you, know, you can, can hear so much more. There's so much more nuance that, that can happen. Yeah. I mean, not, not, I think we've got the band I'm in. These, I think I'm probably the weak link musically in the band. And the, the players have great dynamics and it's fun. But it's more work, too. And it's a lot more setup work, too. So it's sure. certainly hours in advance instead of, uh, I mean, I'm... I'm used to showing up a half hour in advance. I can get everything right. set up, sound checked, ready to go. Boom. Yep. Yeah. You know, I don't have to spend three hours setting sure. up a huge band PA with lighting and everything else. So. Sure. Well, you know, um, I mean, you're. I first saw you at a friend's wedding a couple years ago. That's right. And yeah. I was like, gosh, this guy's really good. That's the first thing I noticed. And then I came over to talk to you like all annoying people do. at those <laughs> kind of, like, Anybody who's ever done anything musically right. <laughs> will come and tell you about what they do, right? right. But right. but I, w- I was just so, um, I was so impressed by your talent and you're carrying it all by yourself and you're singing and guitar playing was so good and then i looked at your songbook which was more like an encyclopedia and <laughs> i'm going a couple inches that's yeah. pretty that's pretty impressive 
I mean, how many songs do you think you have in your uh, in co- that cover repertoire? In that one book, there's probably 200 songs in there. Wow. And um, I've got another book at home that's got stuff I don't do much anymore, but I occasionally will transfer some of those things that I recall. And it can be fun to try that again. I, sometimes those go in the new book. Um, but, you you know, you factor in you know, maybe if each song's maybe four, four minutes with a little chatter in between or whatever at right. a show. So, you know, you divide an hour by four, you get 15 songs, right. you get 30 songs in a two-hour gig, there's 200 in that book. Some of those songs I might get to once or twice a year, just because there's a special circumstance that calls for that. And the others are, you know, there's other regulars you get all the time, but that's, you know, my old, old, old school songbook. I, I get teased about it all the time, but uh, if people were, why didn't you transfer to them? Get the iPad. Right, right. Like, I've got an iPad. I can't read the dang thing. And I can't <laughs> see the entire song on there if I can make it lyrics big enough to read. So, yeah. Like, ah, I'm going to stay old school. And, yeah. And that way, you know, if I'm in, a, if I'm in an iPod, iPad, I'd, I don't know how you, I don't even exactly know how you would page through the thing, you know, except right. by going alphabetically and hitting the next song that you think you want. Sometimes the next song that seems to really fit the the occasion or the moment is the one you flip by and you go, oh, that one. Yeah, right. I would have never even considered doing that, but there it is right there. So let's go with it. And- what? Uh, well, everybody has, I think, their their own idiosyncrasies about yeah. how they like to arrange their music, right? My we tease our we tease Chris all the time because he's got these little three by five index cards. Oh, that's his, and that's wow. that's his process. He'll write out huh. lyrics and then he'll write out chords on there. Wow! And he it's not a lot of space. <laughs> the, the, no, it's not. And the funny thing is, if he forgets them. He's oh. a mess, and we uh. know that he's. We know that he knows the songs, <laughs> and right. he could play it without it. But it's like his little blankie he's got to have. Um, so I get it. I mean, you gotta you gotta go with what works for you. But um, yeah, and, but you're. I mean, but you do so many different genres. I mean, give us some examples of the different genres songs that you do. What it's a, quite a gamut. Yeah, it's. I think there's a little something for everybody in there. Maybe I hope at least. Um, I mean, I've. I think the oldest song that I do some, with some regularity was from Porgy and Bess. So that's a Gershwin tune. Oh wow! Summertime. I've got a version of that I like doing, uh, and that that would be from the 30s, I guess. Yeah. Um, I do a couple uh, Everly Brothers songs from like mm-hmm. 1959 yeah. for, that I heard my dad play when I was a kid. Sure. And, uh, and then I've got. I mean, largely my book is probably full of 70s, some late 60s and 90s stuff. We've got a couple random 80s things, even a Madonna song that I've got a fairly different cover of. Um, and stuff from today, you know, John Mayer up to bands that I just saw for the first time this year at the Brit. I've got, you know, I got two uh, two acts that were, were the first timers there. I do some of their songs and, and then my own stuff. So it's, it's all over the place. And... Um, the book is somewhat alphabetical, you know, in that I don't, every time I put a new thing in, I don't always want to re-alphabetize the whole book to fit that in. So this you know, right, right. <laughs> somewhat alphabetical. And I, I tend to never go in with a set list. So, except for the band, it's a full band, I'll have a set list for it. Cause it's just, you know, not as, you don't want to have as much time between times figuring out what's coming up next. But I find it in most venues that I'm playing, uh, you know, I want to respond to the energy in the place the clientele who's there was their demographic are they younger older is it more rambunctious is it super mellow crowd you know i'll I'll do mellow music of certain eras for one crowd and then a little more lively stuff that's more modern for other crowds and and you can't ever tell who's going to be there going in 
Right. You know, I mean, I mainly just play winery stuff. So I, I have less of the bar crowd, which is the younger, more rambunctious crowd for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the winery crowds, you can, some wineries are just way more energetic and loud. And yeah. you know, others are very sedate where you're just sonic wallpaper pretty much. Sure. And, you know, sure. I was going to ask you about that, about if you if you make a set list or not, because that's that's the benefit of having such a large amount of songs that you do, right? And yeah. you, you can step in and kind of fill out the crowd more. Yeah, I mean, I, there's some songs I'm probably always going to do, and I may do them in a different uh, at a different energy level uh, for for some shows or others. But there's a lot of stuff that really, you know, some old Beatles stuff that I would only do occasionally, or that that type of thing uh, that really fits more of this vibe versus that vibe. Yeah, I try to I try to make it appropriate for the space and for the venue and for sure. the, the crowd. So yeah, um, I'm not just a you know I, I think there's enough musicians that are here's what I got I got one thing right. here's what I do and I'm right. just gonna do it whether you like it or not <laughs> I'm doing it and you know I mean it's there's something to be said for that if you're, if you're all original band and you do what you do is this your original is at this volume and at this energy level and this right. speed then then that's what you're doing and that's you know you know it's good you know, good on you if you may not be uh, as busy as jeff though well yeah well maybe that that's part of the cop out i mean when i first started playing years ago in hawaii i had a every friday coffee house gig this would have been probably 1990 i don't know four or something okay so and this is when you first started playing these... in public guitar okay. and yeah really okay. had, had a quote-unquote gig that um, okay so about yeah. 25 years okay. yeah yeah okay. I, I played in a band for a year before that as a bassist in a, like a surf rock band and uh the the lead the lead dog in that band was a was a writer and we played a lot of his original stuff and i started thinking you know what God, he can write songs i can write songs so I started doing a lot of orig- writing original instrumentally stuff, um, in which I started playing in coffee houses. And I guess I should credit the uh, the buyer of that coffee house, who the person whoever bought it from the original owner that where I started playing at. The guy, you know, one day took me aside and said, "Hey, you know, it'd be great if you would sing, you know, some songs when you play here, because." Because if you don't sing, we're probably going to let you go and get somebody who sings in here. I'm like, oh my, lose, oh, I'm no. lose my gig? What? Okay, right, maybe I better try to sing then. And I'd grown up, uh, I mean, I'd grown up singing in like church choir and uh, my mom is a, um, she's got a master's degree in voice and she's a voice teacher and oh, stuff. So, okay. um, so there was singing around. I just, it was nothing I was doing in public in front of people. And that, so at age 30, you know, all right, I guess I'll get, give this a whirl. And, and my voice certainly had a long way to go. And, you know, then again, going back to the muscle thing, the more you use it, I think the stronger it gets. And right. so that's been a benefit of singing a lot. There's, there's a downside of that too when you get worn out, but sure. But I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. So you grew up, so you lived in Hawaii, but where did you grow up? Though? I grew up back east, uh, okay. mostly in Maryland. We moved around a little bit. I lived in Maryland, Connecticut, Colorado, back to Maryland, to Germany, back to Maryland. Were you in a military family or no? My, oh, okay, my dad's a university professor. He's a uh, oh, okay, a microbiologist. Kind of similar and, <laughs> in yeah. terms of I guess moving a lot. Well, he was he was getting his PhD. So when I was oh. a little kid, we moved around following his PhD professor a few times, and then he would you know he'd go on sabbatical trips to somewhere, and I got to go along on one of those with the whole family to Germany for a year. And oh, that's cool. It was an interesting experience. Yeah, but then um, when I got out of college in Virginia, I actually went to Hawaii, and that's. I played a little bit in a high school band, just trying to play lead guitar with, you know, my other, you know, 16-year-old buddies or whatever. Sure. In the garage. Yeah. And uh, so I always had a guitar. I guess I started playing guitar at about age 11. So my dad played some guitar and he had an old nylon folk guitar. 
that he would play us to sleep with sometimes as kids. And I started on that guitar. Um, but everybody in my family had to start piano lessons at age six. It was the law. <laughs> it, was, it was the rule. The you household law. You didn't have a choice. My mom was a piano teacher, so everybody oh, had lessons. And I talk about a great musical... Um, that's a great place to start because you get a little bit of everything right in there you know two hands going mm. bass accompaniment melody theory whatever i mean that's probably the best uh musical education you can start with i guess well and you can be younger because yeah you, all you have to do is you know basically press down your fingers right yeah. and, and sound comes out yeah so. but your mom taught you she initially started and then she realized yeah this doesn't work with your own kids so then we got farmed <laughs> out to, to music teachers so i'm one sure. of four kids and all okay. of us had piano lessons and and then we all had to pick a band or orchestra instrument at school in fourth grade to start on and i uh i short, quickly became the black sheep even though that's not my role in the family but that you i was my mom really wanted French horn or cello or something gorgeous, you know, like that. And, mm. and I chose the drums. Nice. And um, so I had like four or five years of, of rhythm background there. And, you know, that that was a great uh, compliment, I think, to the melodic side of piano. And and I think, I, I kind of think I'm a little more of a rhythmic guitar player than some folks. And maybe that could stems from going back to those years of playing, I, w- I would definitely drums. give you that. Having yeah, seen I'm you a, several real, times. I'm pretty snappy and I've got this snare beat, almost like a yeah, downbeat yeah. snappy thing happening. I know. So meh. I like rhythmic stuff for sure. I find that moves, that moves you a lot more than just flowy, floaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I love, I love watching you and you do. It's, it's in, I thank you for putting words to it. Cause I'm like, this is different. You know, yeah. when I hear you, it's different. So, so dad played guitar a little bit yeah, and then mom, what was the extent of, so piano teacher, you said she was a. Yeah. So she's got piano and voice degrees from college and then got a master's degree in voice and she taught piano and voice always growing up okay. and sang as a like paid soloist and choirs wow. and stuff. Okay. So. She were she was all singing. My dad sang. They they met in choir, I guess, when they were teenagers or something. And okay, um, but they in fact they even sang at the White House when I was a kid. They they were in a choir that went to sing in the White House. No so, kidding. Yeah. What do you remember about that? I wasn't there. It was, okay, it was the Carter administration. So that okay. somewhere in gotcha. the mid seventies, I guess that would be or mid or late seventies. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I was you know I, I, we didn't go along. I didn't have the clearance that I needed apparently. Right. I don't, I don't right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So so it you know that's that's what I found when I talked to when I've had musicians in so far. Yeah. Everybody had parents you know where they were either musical or had music on in the house, yeah. and I think that's that's just what it takes, I guess. To yeah, spark it. I think just having that in your ear all the time as a as a kid, mm-hmm. where even if you're not even if you're not studying it, having it around a lot, or having you know having people that will sing along with it at home and so you feel comfortable doing that yourself i think is all all a good thing for any kid to have access to for sure and you know i just wonder as as it seems like education i don't have kids so i don't know exactly but it seems like some of those more creative outlets have been have slipped from public school curriculum maybe and mm. so you don't have as much if you're not getting it at home you're not going to get it at school and mm. i mean i grew up we always had art class every year music class every year mm-hmm. those things that were a little more different brain development side than than just your three r's or whatever sure know? sure uh, no you know um and i have to be careful not to get in my soapbox because i was on a school board okay. i was on the medford school board and medford has actually done a really good job investing in music and arts oh, and that's things great. like that and, and bought several hundred thousand dollars worth of instruments a few years ago to keep the awesome. musical programs but 
The problem is some of the more outskirt school districts where funding is not as, right. you know, is, is more volatile. Yeah. Um, it's almost, it's usually one of the first things to go and it's, right. it stinks. It does. I think, you know, you got to give a kid both sides of the coin, I think, mm-hmm. to, to get the full potential out of them and just not, not be just only one thing. Yeah. I mean, they can choose that one thing later when they figure it out, but yeah. at least give them the option, I think, first thing. So I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Like I said, I, I don't have kids, so I don't know sure. exactly, but I hear sure. from so many people that, oh, no, I mean, art? No, they, they, they didn't get art this year. Or they mm-hmm. don't have music this year. I'm like, really? Yeah. How do you not have that? Anyway. Well, I think we, we, we swing, the pendulum swings yeah. back and forth. And, you know, first it was STEM. Science, yeah. technology, engineering, and math, or whatever, yeah. are, and and then now they've added, they call it STEAM now, so they've uh, added art, art into that. Oh, good, okay. Um, so this it's kind of like everyone needs to go to college. Oh wait, maybe that's not for everyone. Yeah, we're, we're I think we're swinging back to oh, you know, art really is important, and it shouldn't be the first thing that we cut. And yeah. uh, but it, but it takes I think it takes the influence at home too. So you, yeah. so you. I find this so interesting, though. You didn't really sing in public. No. But your I mean, mom was a soloist, a soloist yeah. and, a, and a vocal coach and got and, a degree in that. And my sisters were always like the lead in the the theater plays, singing all their you know their parts and everything. They, my brother okay. and I were not doing that at all. Okay. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's just you know the way it worked out. I was quite painfully shy, I think. So mm-hmm. I definitely had... Uh, mental blocks against doing, you know, doing something like that. Didn't want to really stick out too much. Yeah. But uh, it's unfortunate. It would have been nice to have developed a voice a little bit earlier instead of, you know, in my nether years here. But uh, <laughs> nether years. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. Were you the? Were you like the youngest? Or I'm, I'm the eldest. You're the eldest. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You were the eldest, but it was your younger siblings who were the. More yeah, the two youngest. Front. Yeah, the okay. two youngest were showgirls and and <laughs> both musicians as well. Okay, and my, my my one sister is sort of she's the real musician in my family. She's got two degrees from Juilliard, played all over the world. Oh, wow. and she's uh, the head cello professor now at uh, UCSB. But um, yeah, she's played everywhere. Been on hundreds of recordings and from everything, mainly classical. But she's been on a couple Michael Franti albums and wow. just like really all across the board with uh, a very a really varied cello background so uh, so yeah. so you you graduate college back east yep and you go to hawaii what what brought you out there and then how did music sort of take off from there so uh hawaii the hawaii thing I, my dad's parents had retired there from la uh when they were still quite young and uh so but they would send us all this uh these like hawaii care packages mm. so as a kid i remember getting you know the macadamia nuts the hawaiian chips the you know the kukui shell lays and then hawaiian music and i also grew up watching magnum pi and on the tv I'm like <laughs> wow look at that how beautiful this place is i want to go there and um so I, one of my good, good high school buddies was a surfer, and he and I made this plan. As soon as we got out of college, we're going to Hawaii for a year, just have fun and see what happens, and then we'll come back and get real about things. And uh, through some family problems that, ha- that happened to him, that um, he didn't get to go, and I still, I, I continued out there, and uh, finally left 22 years later. <laughs> Wow, but, so you were uh, there for that long. Yeah, wow. I was there for a long time, fell into some things. My grandparents were there. My aunt, uh, my uncle uh, was there, who was just a few years older than I was, my dad's youngest brother. And so he and I were super outdoorsy, doing all kinds of stuff, biking and hiking and camping and, you know, body surfing, whatever it was. Um, 
but I really credit a lot of the music thing to Hawaii. I didn't j- jump in at first and a family friend came out to visit her siblings out there and ended up bringing my guitar out from my folks. So I started playing a little bit with a guy I worked with and he was the singer. I was just, I would play some acoustic leads over what he was doing and we were doing Jim Croce stuff and, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, whatever. This would have been late, late 80s. Uh, and his sister was in the dorms at University of Hawaii. So we'd go up and play at her, in her dorm room for little parties or whatever. And, and then I think I sort of lost touch. Like I kind of drifted away from the guitar again. I definitely had a lot of drift away. From college, I drifted quite heavily away from guitar. And then in Hawaii, there was a drift. And I finally came back. I got kind of sucked into it by this surf band that I was telling you about. And uh, for, then I, and I really jumped in with a vengeance once I decided, I, I got to pick that guitar up again. And I'm going to write some songs. And I started watching, um, going out to watch a lot of singer-songwriter guys or cover artist type of people that would play regularly. And that was probably one of the biggest guitar educations I've ever had. I would There's a guy I'd go every Sunday night and watch this guy. And just, you know, I was there for, ostensibly for fun but i was just taking notes all the time with my you know my one drink and that's all he's doing right there that's just c to f really wow that's how why does that sound better and different than when i do it yeah you know and so i got a good rhythmic um education there with some of the guitar styles that uh some of the island folks have they're a little snappier you know some of them are hawaii's got a quite a bit of uh you know kind of jamaican-y you know, island kind of rhythm stuff that they've picked up and adapted out there. So there was that rhythmic flow as well as, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of true older school Hawaii music. It's pretty much country music with just mm. different, different wang to it, kind of, so to speak. But, um, and I was out, I was getting into this at a time in the 90s when the singer songwriter thing was really blowing up. So there was a lot, uh, there was a lot less Hawaii. Hawaiian music that I was hearing and there were a lot more of these Hawaiian songwriter guys who were doing much more modern stuff and covering a lot of the big mainland songwriters um, and that was that was a good education for me for sure to be introduced to some of that and be able to go see there was about three guys that I would go see as much as possible and I'm all self-taught on guitar but uh, they were they were sort of teachers really of a sort just by my staring at them for long enough by hours. observing yeah like just trying to suck it up as a sponge and that's yeah. so interesting. So, but never official, never officially had lessons or anything. No, like that. I, I had a couple little sit down lessons with a guy who was an amazing lead guitar player, but it was really not a good experience, and that just didn't take at all. And so, I wasn't really, I didn't feel like I got much out of that at all. And I've done, I've gone to a couple guitar like workshop weeks much later on. Um, you know, I would leave Hawaii for vacations, and, and you know, I'd go to like a four day workshop in California or something uh, that worked with my flight plan or whatever, and you know, take a class with this guy or that guy. But largely they were all much more fingerstyle players and I'm not a fingerstyle guy. I'm a flat pick with a couple fingers. And so I I didn't probably get as much as I could out of those either. But I think it all kind of goes into the soup and blends in and you come out with what you get, you know, who you are. So That's so interesting, you know, because I'm... You know, I can basically hit some chords, you know. and and, But I, I find myself hitting plateaus Mm. so being being so being self-taught how did you get yourself over those plateaus and you know get get up the neck more and and learn more lead stuff and things like that i think the real difference in that came with um well first of all i I was 
even though I was self-taught, I would go get the you know the music books when I was eleven. I was a huge John Denver fan, so I go get the easy John Denver book, you know. Mm. But you look back at those things, and all it is is the this most basic of chords. But right. you get to start with that. And um, I was really religious about playing guitar with the radio. Just turn the radio on, play guitar with mm. whatever comes on, and try to play something like that or just try to you know sprinkle notes all over it that might work and i think that it was a great ear training just for you know playing in tune and playing in key with something that's happening and maybe trying to anticipate where that song might be going or if you know the song you know where that change is coming and seeing if whatever your little two note thing you're trying to play is going to work or not so that it was just trial and error so much of that was trial and error and then discovering tab because that wasn't available really when I started out mm. playing guitar. You had just your chord or you had to read the, you know, you had the Mel Bay read the guitar. So here's your C here, here's your C there, there's the next C up. And I don't know any of that stuff really. Mm. I mean, I can back into it if I have to, but um, that was not something I learned to do. I didn't learn to read music at all. So um, the tab thing really was probably quite helpful. And, and once, I mean, I didn't have the benefit of the internet really growing up as a kid to where YouTube will show you everything you ever wanted to know, whether you can play it or not. You know, you can have it if you want right, right. there. That's an amazing resource now. And that wasn't really an option, but being able to find tab stuff in guitar magazines and other things was, was a really good help on how, you know, what chord forms move up the neck as like, you know, double stop notes and whatnot. That, that was really, those were instrumental. And again, just going back, just trial and error. Yeah. You know, it's the long way to do it. It's the hard way to do it. Like, sure. does this work or does this not work? You don't understand why it's working, you know, when you don't know the theory and the neck so well. And I've kind of, I guess, acquired a lot more knowledge of that just by understanding finally that, okay, that's just part of a C form that's up there. And then you move up and then it goes to that A7 form and then the C. There's a there's a, a walk up that works always. And here, so you change the key, you change your finger slightly and that always works. And and then figuring out some of those more open chords up the neck. I like uh, I like having some chimey, ringy open chords going on for sure. I'm not all just bar chords. And it's a little less interesting to me, I guess. Sure. Well, <clears throat> and it's it's playing, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's playing a lot. Putting uh, the time in, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's the 10,000 hours thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I when my family moved to Germany, I... Uh, I was, I guess I turned 14 in Germany and I took my guitar and I probably played three hours of guitar a day. Uh, I just, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't speak German at the time. So it was, uh, it was interesting to, you know, figure out who you're going to be when, you know, so I put a lot of time into the guitar and I kept getting my guitar player magazine. Mm. You know, it's one (laughs) of the few things I got. We would, we would go to the, I guess the nearest American military base was probably an hour away but we occasionally would go there and i could get a couple issues of the nice guitar player and something to chew on at home later so but yeah hours time and and that creates that muscle memory and just that ease of moving between chords and everything else that just seems to be that's a something that just you know you can know all your chords but can you move between them quickly enough to make a song work at a at a tempo that sounds reasonable right yeah right and not you know even though you're by yourself yeah a lot not change (laughs) <laughs> not speed up or slow down too much right. to where it becomes detrimental yeah. and <laughs> right you want to be interesting i mean people still like to kind of tap their feet and sure you know sometimes i'm still amazed at how many people want to get up and dance around to a guy one guy on a guitar like, yeah. okay but i guess that says something about my rhythm or something Absolutely. i don't know i mean they, they're feeling it somehow <laughs> or they're feeling the wine or whatever it is but yeah <laughs> or a yes. combination thereof 
Yeah, um, alcohol helps. Yeah, that's for well, sure. Lubrication, yeah. Inhibitions. <laughs> Drifting a little bit. That's good. I can't no, dance without alcohol. I it's, cannot either. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I can't do it. Not pretty. White, white guys dancing is just, uh, uh, not a pretty thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you, okay, so you're in Hawaii. You did the, the coffee. Uh, it was Really start off, okay. yeah, coffee house thing. Got Ended up in playing in several bands and playing with... Um, eventually some fairly bigger names out there as a side guy uh uh for a while i guess for several years really i was just a side guy i mean i had before i left i left hawaii in 2009 and for the eight years before that i was i had one duo going on with one of my buddies and he pretty much sang most of the stuff and i was the side guy a little backup vocals sang a couple tunes but played you know acoustic lead stuff for him and um i got to, i played also for several years with um Random bands. Sometimes, I mean, we one of the bands I played guitar in. We wrote for Greg Allman, and oh wow, we played in festivals where the you know other big names were going on. I and I got to back up uh, two or three much bigger names. There were people that were really well known in Hawaii. Um, Jake Shimabukuro is probably the biggest name, like the ukulele king of the world, sort of. Mm, yeah, um, I got to go on two two tours with him in Japan um, as his guitarist and occasionally as his singer. It was about about two thousand six ish around that realm. Um, and then I played with his little brother, who's also a phenomenal ukulele player, and it was pretty kind of a high energy acoustic guitar ukulele duo. And he and I both sang in that one. That was that was kind of fun. But you know, the gigs are all his. He he was the name. He could get all the great gigs he wanted, and just tell me when to show up. And oh man, you know, I didn't have to do it all. I could just show up and plug in and play and unplug and walk home afterwards. And, yeah, and that's... Now, now I got to do it all. <laughs> yeah, I but, know. Uh, I uh, always say it'd be nice to have a roadie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or two. somebody just to set up something. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm used to it. I do it yeah. you know, several times a week, so it's become just second nature. But, but so what's the biggest, so you, I mean, so you've really, you've done some big stuff then. So what? what's the biggest show you did touring with him? Um, definitely the Japan things. He was not doing any huge shows, but he was selling out like 12, or 1400 seat venues wow. where people were taking a four hour train ride to get to his show and then wow. training it right back that night. You know, in Japan, things are run a little bit differently, but he's such a, you know, such a big draw there. Um, so that, that was very cool to see. And they, I mean, God, that the staff over there takes such amazing care of you. Some of my, you know, really some of my best musical experiences I've ever had where you get your own hotel room on the 40th story looking over Tokyo or wow. Wow! Just, just, I got this room here. Wow! Yeah. Um, and they were in the sound. I mean, they're such sound technicians that mm. they got some of the best sounds out of my acoustic guitar that I've ever heard. You know, with whatever they put in line, and they're, you know, they're just the right this and just the right that, and some kind of analog thing that warms it up. And it was really nice tonality for sure. It's, and I just love how it sounds too. If it doesn't sound good, mm. I uh, my head doesn't work as well with the whole mm. thing so i really like the way it sounds and feels and uh, so that was that was good to have those experiences there at that higher level um, sure so i did those are some big uh you know some big deals i guess i i played with uh i backed up a, a well-known singer-songwriter in hawaii named john cruz for a couple shows and we got to play at one of the big jack johnson festivals that he ran every year and that show so we're in the bill with oza motley um jack johnson jackson brown um, I mean, G Love. But I mean, it's all day festival, and and it's he and I on acoustic guitars. We had to follow Oza Motley, which is like a Grammy, you know, wow. Grammy nominated twelve piece horn band with drums and. <laughs> 
And then, so they just get the, they ramp up the, the uh, you know, the volume and the energy. And then there's two guys walking out with guitars. Like, oh, great. But it was really good experiences. And it was just fun. I love singing backdrop vocals for people. And, you know, that was, that was great to do that with him. Cause I, he's one of the guys that really inspired me over the years that I went to watch every week just to learn from. And it was cool to actually get to play with him years later. So. Do you still keep in touch with any of those people? For- um, via Facebook, I just saw Jake here. He played in Medford on his That's you know, right. latest tour. Yeah. So he was at the Criterion, and uh, I, got, I got to hang out with him a little bit afterwards and That's cool. catch up a little bit. And yeah, yeah. Um, I don't see as many of them. I don't get back to Hawaii as often as I'd like. I haven't been back in two years now, but hopefully it's winter, late winter. Maybe I can get out there. And uh, But I, I stay with one of my old music partners there, usually every time I go. And and he's got his own studio. He keeps threatening to record something with me when I'm out there. So someday that'll happen. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be fun. So what brought you here? What brought you from Hawaii to beautiful Southern Oregon? Wow. Which I'm not sure there's a comparison there. It's a different place. It's a different place. <laughs> I, uh, I certainly didn't have that intention ever when I left Hawaii. Yeah. Um, I left Hawaii for a woman that I've been off and on with for almost two decades, I guess. And Yeah. Because um, I was going to go to California and make that work. And, and we... Uh, we opted to take a trip around North America, six months in a car with her, her dog, and myself. And at the end of that, that whole thing went sideways. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't really want to live in San Francisco by myself with no job and you know, um, and the expenses that that would entail seemed sure. quite daunting. Um, so I, my, I came up to see my folks who had retired to Ashland. Okay, gotcha. just a, just a few years before that. And uh, I just stumbled into the Rogue Valley. You know, I really like that. I like the the landscape. I like I like the summers a lot. I like warm, dry, hot, dry summers. So mm-hmm. were perfect for me. Uh, the, the gray of winter and the damp and muddiness is not my favorite thing. But that they're milder winters. And after 22 years in Hawaii, I wasn't ready for real winter yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ease that transition. Yeah, and I really like. I've I've always sort of was into wine, and I've become much much more of a wine dork since being here. Um, and jumping in that business where I do work one day a week for a winery too. And I've worked for a few different wineries over the years, but, um, I, I worked a little more in the past, but then as the music thing kept kind of growing and growing each year, I opted to run with that more and just build that. So, so you, when you were in Hawaii, what were you doing when you weren't doing music or were, oh, were I, you? Yeah. I always worked in corporate stuff there. Okay. I mean, I, the last 17 years I was there, worked in a 200 person asset management company, just, you know, in, okay. my, in my little office and, you know, yeah. doing my paperwork and everything else I had to do. Um, but I always played music after from the mid nineties on. And, um, I mean, some, some years I would be playing, you know, a couple of gigs a week, nine to one with a band. Sure. And then get up and go to work in the morning. And I, in my thirties, you know, I, I I could do that. It was no problem. Right. It's harder right. to do that now. Uh, so I always had a day job. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and I came here in 09, like I said, and there were no day jobs left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very, very depressed. And I had given up guitar about a, for about a year completely when I did that road trip around the U.S. And afterwards, for quite some time, I didn't play any guitar, no music at all, really. And um, I just, it was uh, it was kind of a depressing time to, to arrive here and realize, so this is, wait, this is cool and i've got this little house and but i can't get a job so Mm. i went back i went back to just picking up a guitar and going to the farmer's market and putting out a jar you know if i can make 26 bucks in an hour and then that'll fill my gas tank up or you know i get some groceries with that uh 
It was interesting, a very interesting time. And I think in a way it was a good musical reconnect with how do you get somebody to stop for a second that's walking around in a farmer's market and listen to a song? Like mm-hmm. What kind of songs resonate with them? What 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 makes them stop and look twice? What makes them put something in their jar? You know, I, as a side guy, I sort of gotten away from how people see music because I wasn't worried about that. I was just backing this dude up, and it was his his fans and his people. And uh, so I think that was a good education for me to to start all over again at the bottom with with no paycheck and see what happens. And uh, and I think in in some ways it was good because it, it helped build that voice. You know, if I was going to play two or three markets a week and maybe have one real gig, um, that you know, you keep using the voice, you keep making it happen, you keep using those hands, and you know, trying to trying to build up a repertoire that seems to fit for the people you're playing for. And yeah. this is at first. So you, when you moved to Oregon, it's you're just for tips. I didn't know anybody. I knew yeah. nobody. I didn't. There were there were all there was there was very little winery music then. South Stage had music three times a week, so they were the biggest music venue probably in Southern Oregon at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, Roxanne had one night a week, and almost uh, uh, I'm not. Even, I think Pascal might have had music just two or three times a month or something. So there was very little of what we see today is this huge winery, you know, niche market. Oh, yeah. And uh, so it took me about a year before I could even get into a winery, um, anything regular at a winery. I was just banging away. You know, what do you got this month? What do you got next month? How about the month after that? And I would, I would, I guess I was diligent more than I realized because I kept knocking on the door and, you know, climbing through the bathroom window (laughs) if the door didn't get opened and, you know, whatever. And I finally, so I finally got into South Stage. That was where I, the, the first winery that I had something regular at. And uh, and nine years later, I'm still playing there every month. So yeah. that's been the longest gig of my life, actually. The yeah. longest monthly gig of my life. But, you know, it took another year or so to get into Roxy Ann. Just, you know, those music managers are getting, you know, pounded on by all oh, kinds gosh. of people who want in. And, mm-hmm. and I was nobody. I wasn't known. Um, so I, I just had to, you know, work it, you know, you know the hard the hard way the old school way and yeah just keep doing it keep showing up keep asking for gigs keep trying this and eventually you know i would sometimes i would just go play let me just let me just come by and you know audition or like i'll play this night for free and you, you see if it's something that you think you it's great cool if not that's fine just let me know and and i'll you know if it's not if it's not what you want then that, I, I get it so um and then, so that was helpful to, to finally realize hey i can just go give a gig away and and then they at least know because otherwise the people that manage, you know, winery music bookings are not going to go out and seek new talent because they're right. they're overwhelmed with people trying to get in anyway. They don't need to go out and see. So, right. but how do you how do you differentiate yourself then? How do you be seen? How do you be heard? Sure, and you gotta gotta get a little creative with that, I guess. Sometimes, yeah, so. no, absolutely. So that worked out for me because I as I got here, you know that that music thing in the wineries was just starting to expand. And I didn't know people, so I didn't really have a band. I didn't have a partner. And so I, I jumped in solo, and I'm kind of stuck with that because it seems to work for making a living. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, it's harder to make a living as a band member. Sure. You, know, you got to cut the pie so many times. And most band folks have jobs, so they're not as worried about it. So. Right. But I didn't, so. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to 
this seems to be working and it seems to work for wineries because they need lower volume anyway. They don't need full bands mm -hmm. inside. You know, yeah. It's great for the outside summer stuff, but right. inside, not, no, not quite as, you know, Yeah, I think, I think our band got a little bit too much for inside <laughs> itself. You've lasted a hell of a lot longer than we have there, but, you know, that's where I think... Wait, you're on the, you're on the red... <laughs> I just saw you. I think I just put you on the... Oh, I thought oh really? I, didn't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I have to name. check. No, I, and it's cool. It's good to cycle things out, yeah. but I, I, you know, we've had a couple where you know like the i call them the sweatshirt brigade they all showed up in these matching sweatshirts and started dancing and it kind of got became a party atmosphere <laughs> but I'm, i was nice. like i don't think this is normal you know uh, um yeah. but uh i appreciate though you know i understand you know as you're trying to build up you know and, and get in more places um <clears throat> saying hey i'll come and play for free as an audition type of thing but at least south stage pays you know yeah. and they pay pretty decently yeah. and and the, you know a lot of the wineries do too when i started they didn't nobody i mean almost <laughs> almost none of them were really paying they would give uh, you a, two bottles of wine or a bottle of wine right. that's what you play for and this would have been play 2010 2011 yeah. uh -huh. you know and it's nice to get a bottle of wine but that doesn't pay your rent no, it, doesn't it doesn't pay <laughs> your bills at all so that's really changed because most yeah. i mean i don't know of too many wineries now that are they're not paying right uh, i think that's they've realized that wow music does bring in people and yes. people brings in cash flow so it's yeah. it's you know symbiotic in that way so there are, I'm I'm pretty relentless um when I encounter um and and not to generalize but a lot of times it is like coffee shop owners and stuff yeah. it's like well uh we don't pay but we we offer exposure you know and yeah. I always say well people die of exposure. So, right. you know, <laughs> and, uh, musician, you know, if you're a working musician, uh, yeah. you gotta get paid, you know? Right. So, um, and it does, it does bring in people and you develop a following, which, you know, yeah. I know you definitely have. Um, but, uh, amazing. Yeah. Wow, and people just keep showing up. I'm like, aren't you people tired of me yet? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Once people find someone they like though, I think, you know, it's yeah, a, I think the, the the one thing that's been interesting these last few years is with so many more venues being open that have music and so many, so, you know, the, the piece of the pie that's available that wants to go see those things is really getting sliced up more and more now mm, just because there's so many options. And, sure. you know, you don't want to see the same act every week. There's all these other groups playing and, you know, this person. And sure. so there's a lot of choices, a lot of options. So I really feel... Um, I'm very thankful and I feel pretty blessed that people keep showing up to my my stuff. And, um, you know, some people I see a couple times a week. I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a that's good nice. compliment. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, but you do a great job marketing yourself. You know, really? I had to learn that on yeah. the way. And I think that's part of the payoff is, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you keep bringing people in and people keep spending money at that venue, then maybe that venue wants to keep having you. Sure. And so that, that's... I didn't. I had zero background in, in promotions or marketing or anything. But with the internet and with all the social media, they make it so much easier. You know, I I used to print posters out and tape them on the front of the venue window. You know, four or five days or a week in advance, and uh, it's just so much easier to keep putting stuff out uh, on social media and, and you know building trying to build your followers who hopefully see those things on media. I don't know. Yeah. How many people see everything anymore? But I see all of yours. Yeah, and, well, and you send emails too, which is really good. I send one email a month. Yeah. Okay. We just try to get out the whole calendar and sure. anything else that's special is coming up is here and you know, yeah. whatever. Here's the links. If you ever need a link and you go to something, here are the links. And I just try to keep that, you know, present and in front of people uh, once a month along with, uh, 
whatever that's really unusual that might be happening. But, you know, Instagram and Facebook are the, the, the two main vehicles I use for each week. Here's what's coming up this week. And hey, here's tomorrow. Here's the real, the full details and the thing tomorrow or whatever. And, you know, I find that uh, the uh, visual aspect of those type of promotion things can, can be really helpful if you've got some compelling images. I think that's going to be a stronger marketing tool than, than just something with no photo and hey I'm playing here right at six o'clock come down right you know, that's right. and people kind of blow right through those we're just so overwhelmed with media mm-hmm. now that you want to have something at least makes them stop and listen again so sure or a look yeah and then hopefully come and listen yeah right right that's yeah. that's the other thing getting it to action yeah. that's a whole nother step interested <laughs> interested <laughs> <Right>. instead of going <laughs> well even if people say they're going right. they don't always <laughs> right right <laughs> let's talk about songwriting right. um when when did you when did you first start writing songs have you always what did that look like for the you? The first song I ever remember writing, I tried to write in high school. So I'd been playing guitar for you know seven years or so already, and I was I was at that point in my musical journey, I was I was super into like the Southern Rocky stuff, the the Leonard Skinner, the Allman Brothers, Molly Hatchet, Thirty Eight Special stuff, all that kind of stuff. So I was I was kind of aping some of those themes there, and I remember. I had all the music I needed. Music's usually not the problem part for me. It's the lyric. The lyrical side is, is a little bit harder for me to to concoct. And uh, that one, that song, I still remember. I've never never been finished lyrically, but I wouldn't know how to play it anymore. But I so so remember the the frustration of not being able to finish this thing. Mm. And then I I wrote a little bit in college as I got into more open tunings. I started getting into some in more different kind of instrumental stuff. And again, always had the musical side pretty much. Uh, ideas coming on that a lot uh, but really I didn't really jump in full bore until the 1990s uh, and more mid 90s ish I definitely went through a phase there when there was some kind of perfect storm and I was writing 40 to 50 and occasionally 60 songs a year for a few years wow. I mean a lot of those songs were just complete junk but you know you got to write those to get the nuggets sure. right and um and I think every song you write kind of gives you your own personal feedback on what worked and what didn't. We're always our own worst critics anyway. So you, by by really being crit- critical of your own, you know, bad songs, you understand, okay, that's something not to do. And learning what not to do is as important as learning what to do, I think. So you mm-hmm. keep making those mistakes. But uh, yeah, the 90s were really more seminal for me. And there was much more songwriting on the radio. Uh, and I could... You, know, you could the internet was starting to be available and you could you could watch videos of just songwriters and you know stuff you would never see on TV so that was that was great and and I had I had a much easier time with lyric flow th- starting then and I've certainly had some uh, writer's block for where I would have three or four years where nothing would get written at all and then I'd have a little bump and you know it always helps to have the muse I've had two muses in my life one of them was Hawaii times and um and I got a lot of material out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And both sad and happy. Um, sure. Sure. And I found a muse here in Southern Oregon, randomly in Medford just a few years ago. And after not writing a lot of songs since um, probably about 2005, um, just the last few years, I've probably written 20 or 22 songs just the last couple of years. And that's, that was, that's, it's nothing like writing forty or fifty a year, but sure. but I, it feel they feel good because all of them feel like pretty decent songs at this Absolutely. point. I think I, my 
you know, your filters that you, you develop over time, your filters get stronger and stronger and you realize, oh, that's not worth saying that. That's not worth singing those words. And I'm very open to, when I get, when I get stuck and something just doesn't seem like it works or it doesn't sound real to me, I'm very open to uh, uh, collaborating lyrically with other people. And, and I've, I've, uh, I've got a few people in the Valley that I'll, I'll send lyrics to and with just a quick phone demo of the song. I'm like, all right. Here's the, here's the feel. Here's the lyrics. Here's where I don't. This doesn't seem like it works, and I don't know where to go from there. And and I've had a couple people that will, will just shoot back their lyric ideas, and some of those I take, or some of those will spur, will trigger something in me. Oh, I could say it this way instead. And um, so I think that's I think it's good. It's good to have that kind of feedback that's actually creative and with a different mindset, and can kind of help you get unstuck. And for me, it's, it's generally always the lyric stuff that I need that little help with to either make it sound more real or get unstuck or take it a slightly different avenue that, that feels um, just much more. Mm, right. You know? I think that's where a lot of people get stuck because they don't, they lack the vulnerability to send someone else a work in progress. Yeah. That's, I think, a huge step for people. Is that something you've ever struggled with? Or just kind of, you're like, you know, the end result is I want to write a song and I need help. I'm stuck. Yeah. You know, I in my earlier, more prolific times, I, I don't think I co-wrote much at all, except occasionally I had a couple uh, a couple guys that I worked a day job with um, were, were kind of wordsmiths of a sort. And so they would send me, hey, I wrote this poem or these lyrics mm. and and i and some of those became song full-on songs where i would put music to them and then we'd shift the lyrics around a little bit to see what worked better uh, as far as being able to sing those lyrics uh but most of what i had i'd done back in those days was really just myself locked up in a room with a little four-track porta studio and <laughs> trying to figure out what to do on the cassette there uh and much more recently i i realized you know it can't really be about us about you me so much i mean it has to be about the song and part of that stems from bands where you have one guy in the band that takes over and wants to every song has to have my imprint on it has to have my gigantic solo on it no does that serve the song what serves the song Mm. you know make the song the best it can be and the others the rest is sort of dressing so i'm i'm if i've got an idea that i feel you know passionate about i'd rather that song be a better song than only have my name on it. Sure. And, you know, back in the old days, when I started doing this, I read a lot about music publishing and, you know, the writing and the royalty stream. And you could, it was a thing back then. Now it's like <laughs> much smaller, <laughs> minuscule piece of a pie just because yeah. the way royalties are, are being kind of taken over by uh, online streaming with very little payback on all of it. Right. Um, you know, so it's something that now... I, I don't know. I can care less about the royalty stream on it. You know, yeah. whatever. If it ever happens to have a royalty stream, I'm more than happy to share with it. And, and I have no problems just, uh, hey, this is, you know, a song by me and so-and-so. Right. And um, and I super appreciate the people who, you know, are like closet musicians, but are very sharp people. They would never want to perform. They would never want to do this. But I respect some of these people's, you know, brain power and their lyrical flow. And I'm like, that's great that they have the interest in, in taking some time to read mine, write their version and see what works to, you know, fit them all, fit the pieces of the puzzle together and see what really sounds stronger, feels stronger. So. Do you have to, do you sit down and, and, you know, separate time to write or does inspiration just strike you? You know, I, I'm more moment driven, I guess I would say. And I've got, I mean, 
my iPhone in, in the notes section under the voice notes. I mean, it's probably, there's probably 200 song ideas in there right now, mostly musical, but some with, with lyrics. And so I just try to jot stuff down when I can. And I wish I had more time to go and mine that thing and finish mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. But if I've got an idea that I'm feeling good enough about that just strikes me, um, I, I rarely ever sit down and say, okay, I want to work on a song. Um, Sometime I'll be hearing something on a radio that will trigger me and I'll, I'll be on my way home. Uh, I don't listen to a ton of radio at home or music at home at all, but I listen religiously in the car. And so sometimes I get struck with an idea, you know, and I, I'm on the phone, just, jam, you know, here's this spot, you know, triggered this word flow in me and mm-hmm. let's go home. And sometimes I'll go right home and, and work on that while it's fresh. And I always try to get, if I'm going to do that, I always get, you know, start my, I kind of start with song sheets with lyrics, you know, and broken down chorus, you know, whatever the whole kind of arrangement of the song and try to start fleshing that out. So I've got a lot of those that need finishing. I've got a work in progress file that's mm. fairly big in you know, one folder under the originals, <laughs> under the lyrics, originals, <laughs> work in progress. You know, that third folder yeah. needs some more time. So I need to, and for me, the the summer months, pretty much from April through December almost. I mean, it's I'm, my schedule's been really busy with gigs that I don't have a whole lot of downtime. And sure. if you're, I mean, this year I had one month I played 20 gigs and that, wow, it seems like a lot. I've, I've got friends in Hawaii that play 30 to 40 gigs a month. That's crazy. They're playing doubles. I don't know how you do that and, mm. and continue to be able to use your voice for anything. Right. But for me, 20, 20 gigs is a lot. Is and a I don't lot. have a lot of interest in spending another day four hours another day working on singing and playing guitar because i'm just a little bit you know burnt on it sure sure <laughs> you know you like anything in life as, as much as you love it you don't want to do it 24 7 right you need to have that balance and that you know find that thing that recharges you or whatever um so i would i wish i would well winter is when i have a little more time sure. and so i tend to record more in the winter um when I'm working on an album, that's usually when I get the lion's share of the work done. Or I can write more if I'm not recording that particular year. God, I hope I'm going to record this winter. I hope so. We'll see. I, I hope so, because it, like <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot of stuff that you know needs to be produced and stuff. I have so many things I would love. I mean, I've definitely have certainly another three albums worth of material. Wow. You know, it's ready to go, but it's, it's, yeah. it's the time and the money of, to, sure. to do those things. You know? You know, it's thousands of bucks and yep. and hours and hours of time that you're not you're that you're paying money instead of making money. So it's a it's a you know sure. double negative in, in the financial aspect. But right, you know, there's something to be said for trying to create art for art's sake. And you know, if somebody likes it, great. If not, you know, you 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 kind of backed up your art. You did something with it. And you know, you know, someday maybe something will work out. If not, you're still an artist. Do you record at home or do you book studio time when you're going to record an album? Mainly, um, mainly studio time. Um, I used to, in Hawaii, I had a full bore uh, Pro Tools 24 channel wow. rig set up in a side bedroom where I could just flip a switch. But I never did full bore releases out of there. I would mm-hmm. do project work for other people, who like demos. I would demo, I probably demoed 40 of my own songs in there that I never would have released, but it gave me, it was a really great experience for studio and, mm-hmm. you know, just production and overdubbing and everything else. So, and I love that. Um, on all of my CDs, well, I've, I've, I put one, one CD out in Hawaii in about 98, and then I've released two CDs here in Oregon. And the two in Oregon uh, definitely have recorded some of the parts, some of the overdubs, background vocals, mandolin parts some other you know guitar atmospheric parts at home 
I took my I took microphones down to California, recorded my sister's cello parts on the last mm. Christmas album, recorded wow. my niece singing, and um, you know other stuff that I just wanted to add on. Sure. And so you know that I'm just using my laptop to do, but I really I kind of want to have the the real you know the meat, sure, the potatoes done yeah. right in the studio yeah. as much as possible. And there's there's a lot of options here. Oh yeah, There's a lot of people with project studios, a lot of people with professional studios, mm-hmm. and a lot of people with a lot of you know engineering and production talent. So, were you surprised by the breadth of musical talent in Southern Oregon when you moved here? It blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, this is a not a big market, and there's yeah. so many you know rock stars and and people that were in big rock bands that seem to have retired here and you know several of them still perform around yeah and there's also there's a i'm just amazed by the array of guitar players that are here Mm -hmm. in this county of two hundred thousand people right um there's some phenomenal guitar players some of the best i've ever seen in my life some of the best keyboard players i've ever ever heard just amazing i mean i'm really impressed with with the musicality here yeah Yeah. and and i to this date, I don't totally understand why everybody's here. There are people here who I don't think should be here. They right. should be somewhere bigger. Yeah. You know, I, yep. <laughs> I know. Like, what are you doing here? You're, you're amazing. I know. I know. But, you know, everybody makes their own pathway. And, um, yeah. You know, I guess the timing is a thing. And maybe they'll wind up there somewhere sooner or later. And then there's, there, are, there are people that are here that are just humping it. And like the brothers Reed, those guys are doing like three or four U.S. tours a year. And yeah. I think they just got back from Southwest Swing. And, you know, they're, they were busy as hell here, and now they're taking it on the road. And that's great. You know, you got the benefits of both, I guess. So yeah, no, it's um, it's it is amazing. It's a high concentration. It really and is. I always try to educate people. You yeah. know, and share like, no, listen, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> is not. Yeah, <laughs> it's a mecca. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much talent, and I, um, you know, I think in one aspect, it's it's a much it's an affordable place to live. It's generally a pretty you know, for the most part, it's a pretty uh, temperate place to live. Yeah. Um, there's beauty everywhere, and I, you know, so I and and it's the affordability factor has to factor in for musicians because sure. a lot of us are not, you know, we're not one percenters. <laughs> <laughs> the one percenters uh, live in Beverly Hills right. or wherever, London or New York. You know, <laughs> in their penthouse suites in New York, the rock stars. You know, whatever. Right. I don't know. Right, right. I don't know those folks, but you know, but it's cool to see that the ones that you know. Have done it all. Some of them wind up here. Yeah, really cool. Just down to earth people, and yeah, you know, there's so it, it's there's it increases the competition, but I think it also pulls up the skill level because people realize, hey, there's you know you can't just be a hack, and there's, mm-hmm. there's like amazing people out here performing. So right. I got to step my game up, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, uh, do you want to play some? Sure. Okay. Let's play a song. Yeah. Find I always have these shoulder seasons. I always have issues with. Uh, with the tuning a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Go, my house is a little bit chilly. Yeah. And then I go into some places that's not so chilly. And <laughs> with the outside gigs at this time of year, yeah. at the end of the day, but you know, when the sun's gone down and suddenly the temp drops 15 degrees, mm-hmm. the guitar goes like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how much it is. All right. So, uh, so tell me about this one. I'm going to play a song. This is a song I wrote just a few years ago. I haven't recorded this one yet, but uh, definitely we'll put this on the next CD. Uh, it's called Home to You. And this was one I kind of had a few songs came out of uh, my pre uh, my pre-muse period. And I, I like I generally like those tunes, those tunes. Um and I was I've got a lot of kind of downer, you know, broken heart negative songs over the years and this one's definitely a more of a positive tune so i've, I've definitely made a, a, a effort to have a little more positivity in the music and and 
you know, feel good stuff. This is called Home to You. So the the idea behind this song was, you know, you're looking at your own life sometimes and sometimes you realize, man, that, that what I was doing, you know, back there a little ways, man, that was really good. I really felt good then. It all feels great now. Like maybe maybe that's worth reinvestigating you know you because you know you you life's a pathway you find things you take a turn you get off track from that that thing that really maybe was going to be more worthwhile so this called home to you about hey i realized that maybe that was the thing that was working whether it's a thing or a person or whatever um that's sort of where this came from so love it all right anyway home to you here it is down the street one day the heavens opened up sun came out and dried me off and gave me his thumbs up the colors taste like music after sudden summer rain and it feels just like champagne traveling down this path alone don't seem the way to go i've been at it way too long got caught up in the flow Step out of the current, I'm headed for sunlight I can feel someone shine bright Up and down, I've been all the way around But I'm at my best when I'm next to you Here and there, I've been almost everywhere Now I got to give myself back home to you I want to get right back home to you. Home to you. Climb up on the rooftop, you can see it all from there. Above the crowds, below the clouds, suspended in midair. Climb up on the mountain, look out upon the view. You can feel the light shine through. Up and down, I've been all the way around Now I'm at my best when I am next to you Here and there, I've been almost everywhere But I've got to give myself back home to you I want to be right back home with you Give me home to you Shine in your smile, the sparkle in your eyes, the love in your touch, and now you know I realize. Up and down, I've been all the way around. But I'm at my best when I am next to you Here and there I've been almost everywhere Now I've got to give myself back home to you I want to get right back home to you Come on, get me home to you 
Gotta get, gotta get right back, back home to you. Gotta get, gotta get right back, back home to you. You can feel it shining through. So I gotta get, gotta get right back, back home to you. That's right. fantastic. <laughs> I can't you. wait till you record that. It, it should be. I hope it comes out well. Um, I've been doing it with the band a little bit. and uh, uh, God, I feel I, like I've heard... Okay, uh, maybe I saw a video. That might... Uh, that could be a video. On, like that. on Facebook or something. Yeah. And okay. There's a lot of video on the band website, too. So maybe David put something up there. David Boland's my drummer. And then okay. he's created... He's got... This voluminous website with with video and all kinds of stuff, which is cool. Okay. Um, but we did that. So in 2017, uh, we finally got a chance to play on the big stage at the Brit. We got to uh, open for Rick Springfield of all people. Like, wow. Mm. Okay. But it ended up being really a cool show. I was very tentative, very worried about it. Uh, but we and that was the first time we've ever done that on a big show uh, that year, and it really came off well. I was super happy with how it came. Out. I was worried about nothing i guess but i was worried about the whole show and, and it sure. came out pretty pretty good overall the sound guy up there was george Rellis. just did this amazing job and the sound was phenomenal and good experience all the way around yeah that's um something i i'm glad you brought that up because that's something i wanted to ask you about because yeah. you you've done a bunch of stuff at brit right i have yeah i played up there from 2011 through 2017 um and uh, until 16, we were always on the side stage, twice with a full band. Uh, I think once as a duo with a, with a cajon player, and then all the rest of the years I did uh, solo. And uh, I got, I guess I... Yeah, in, 11, or in 2012, I got to play twice there because I ended up in this music contest, this thing that oh. South Stage started. And so yeah. that winner got to be, got a slot, and I'd already gotten a slot so there was a little, somebody was upset about that, if I recall correctly. Like, he's already got a slot. Somebody's already always like, upset oh, at competitions. It's, yeah. it's the way it goes. I mean, and I didn't, I didn't even want to get in the competition. I figured, you know, I don't know the people here. I knew it was, it was kind of the thing, like, you bring your family and your, all your friends out to vote, and they, they pay a dollar uh, for each vote. Yeah. And it all goes to fundraisers, you know, it's a nice sure. fundraiser thing. But it's sort of a popularity contest of sure, sorts. Sure. So I had no idea that I would ever be in the finals of that thing, like... <laughs> what the heck anyway but um those were good experiences i think it's such a different place to play mm. you're you're it's a very different uh you know clientele than you would see at your regular winery show or your howie show or you know wherever else you're playing as a musician around the valley people go to brit you know a lot of times don't do other things so it's right. cool to get in front of those folks and um you know have sound people that are taking care of you is really always a really nice thing instead of just doing everything yourself so oh yeah Good experiences yeah, so, all the way, yeah. Who, so have you got to meet a lot of the acts that you've performed near or open mm. for? Or? No, they pretty much, that's not really an option for, okay. for the most part. I mean, I know some acts that, that have opened, you know, there's some that have gotten pulled up on stage with the main act. Oh, okay. For, for occasional, you know, for the final song or whatever. Right. I've, we've never got to meet any of the, uh, oh, wow. of the folks there. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I like uh, so it would have been we did we opened for Chicago with the Phil Band, but on the side stage once we did um, 
Rick Springfield, the other band show would have been another one of the 70s. Uh, Bob Skaggs was Bob Skaggs' show. And so the, you, know, you generally don't see the people on the big stage if you're on the side stage at all. And even yeah. in, in on the big stage, we were sort of kept away from Interesting. From so yeah, it's just sort of what it is what it is. It, yeah. When I, when, I, when I played in this band in Hawaii, they got to open for Greg Allman. I was so excited because I'd been an Allman Brothers fan all my life. Sure. And um, so we never saw them ever show up. We finished our song, walked off stage. They weren't even there. A limo pulls up. They jump out, run up on stage, play. As soon as they're done, jump back in the limo, take off. And we never got to, never got wow. to say hi to anybody in the band. It was a little <laughs> bit of a bummer. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, that's that's too bad. You know, it is because, kind of too bad. Yeah, because yeah. it almost seems like a rite of passage. Like, you know, you're opening for these people. Yeah. I like to think if I were in their shoes, I yeah. would care a little bit more, you know, and, and take make the effort. But, um, I, you know, I also get it. They got a lot going on. But Yeah, and it's, you know, whoever, whatever random local act is opening for them tomorrow, they could care less. Right. You know, but the, and the flip side is some of them do say, and how about that, you know, that open uh, band, blah, blah, blah. It's, yeah. It's, that's kind of cool. So, yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't bear anybody any ill will for it at all. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to change my life too much whether I get to say hi to you know sure. one rock star or, or not. You know, it's life life just keeps on going, and it's not going to. It's not a big. It's going to be a big break for me. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old for big breaks anyway. <laughs> uh, but what I appreciate so much about you is you. Um, you're. It seems like you're always evolving. And God, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> and you, you know, I I was shocked to hear that you didn't sing until you were thirty, yeah. or sing in public. Um, and and you know that's just that's that's so incredible to me. And and um, I just uh, I'm so glad that you were able to come in awesome. and and, right. and chat. Um, cool. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. Yeah, totally appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I um, that's the thing is there's so many amazing people around here uh, doing music and I, I wanted to provide an outlet where people can get to know you a little bit more, you know? Yeah, and so, cool. you know, maybe next time if somebody hears this and they see you at South stage or wherever else, they can go, okay, I, I learned a little bit more yeah. about that guy. Some of the backstory that you don't talk about yeah. at the show or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, you know, it's not like people are out here writing articles about us. You, you know, <laughs> right. all these us musicians can be seen all the time around sure. the rally. But you know, you're not having an in-depth conversation at a show, really. Too yeah. Much, so there's a lot, <laughs> just a lot of spinning wheels at those things. Sure. Sure. Not much downtime. So, and unfortunately, yeah. at some of the things, I always, I think people at South Stage go to listen to music and they appreciate it. Um, at a lot of venues, you're just background you know yeah um, there's a lot of venues that you're that's tough wallpaper yep. or you're yeah you know or it's just a, it's a party and the music's just part right. of the thing it's not right you know, it's, in fact even at, even at the quieter wineries it's still people are really going there for the whole experience and that maybe sure. not they're not maybe not just there for the wine not there just for the music not there just to meet a friend but it's all kind of sure part of the whole atmosphere i guess the flip side is the you know the summer concert series is at some of these bigger venues down here. Right, you know those are true concert events. Which yeah, is, which is cool. You know, like Del Rio has that great space and oh, Red yeah. Lily does those huge. I mean, they have six hundred people at those shows sometimes. It's wow. unbelievable to me. You know, Roxy Ann still has been. They were the first to have a real true concert series. I think of of any of the the bigger wineries. But then you know, Bear Family Estates stepping up on that, and some others have kind of come and gone. Grizzly Peak has their series up there and yeah you know those are fun outlets separate, really separate from that tasting room 
little more mellow musicy stuff but uh, wine and music is a great mix it is it's a great pairing <laughs> I, always, I use that all the time pairing. pair your i'll yes. be playing music to pair with your wine and cheese i uh, love it kind of like, i love it <laughs> that's great i have two more questions for okay. you the questions sure. i i ask everybody okay. um what's what's something you haven't done musically um that you still want to do let's see wow that's an interesting one. And if it's not something you haven't done, just something that's next for you that you have on your mental or physical checklist of things. You know, I, I was just thought it'd be, uh, you know, fairly cool to hear one of my own songs on the radio. And mm. I, I had, I got one song in Hawaii that I got to hear occasionally on the radio just a few times uh, from an album release. And then I, I, uh, I sold a song to a local band that I heard on the radio a couple of times. So that was cool. But I would like to hear, I'd love to hear, you know, one of my originals on the radio around here. I think it'd sure. be fun. And someday maybe I'll have the right album that somebody would say, all right, that fits in. Um, other than just some kind of, you know, random special thing. I put out a Christmas CD a couple of years ago and that's, I got on, you know, I got interviewed on one of the stations locally about that and they played, you know, a song or two from that. But it'd be fun to see something and they might be, maybe get a little rotation. It's different uh, it coming from a radio station yeah. than somebody playing it on Spotify or something. Yeah. It's just something yeah. more special about it, right? I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, on Spotify, you said search it out a little bit more. Radio, sure. You never, who knows what's coming next. But right. um, other than that, let's see, what else would it be really... Uh, God, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm in this mode where I keep thinking about the next album, the next album. And mm. um, I don't know. In Hawaii, I did a few things that were truly songwriter events where, where it was just original stuff. And I've got one of those coming up next year with Mike Smith, his uh, oh, yeah. music series up there. Oh, are you doing Pass. the storytellers? Yeah, I'm going to do one Excellent. of those in May, which is going to be interesting because that's, you know, I mean, I don't do all original shows hardly ever anymore, but right. I've got tons of material. Now I got to go back and relearn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a cover thing, I've really, you know, I, I play, I never play more than 20% original stuff, except the band. Sometimes some of our, we've got a set list that's maybe 34, 35% original. Oh, that's but, pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah. You start, it was more before as we've added more songs. They've been, I, I need to, I guess, add some more originals into that list too. But, uh, you know, it's sometimes easier to, to do a rework, a cover version of something that everybody has heard before. Right. Uh, anyway, but so that'll be a neat, neat to do something really stripped down and original again. Cool. So that'll be at Barnstormers, yep. Grants Pass yep, in May. In May okay, next great. year. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Question two. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> next. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, what's something you would, some advice you would have for an aspiring musician or somebody who's just getting started? Um, I would say, oh, God, I could probably get lots of advice on that. No. Front. Uh, Let us hear it. Time. Put your time in on your instrument. Make sure... Make sure you you're spending the time and that and you've got something worth worth sharing. I mean, I know everybody writes their first ditty and they want to go out and share that thing, but you know, make it make it solid. There's a lot of competition. Make it solid. I mm. uh, I see younger artists who have great voices, and the guitar playing isn't quite up to snuff as being there an accompanist or people that can play the guitar, but the rhythm is you know spotty and. Um, you know, make make it as make it the best you can make it. I mm. would say, just rhythmically, musically, and and vocally. You know, strive to be the best you can be. Keep trying things. Keep doing different things. Switch it up. You know, maybe uh, maybe if a song that, that you're working on, you you don't you're not happy with it. Take that thing down to half time and make it this super slow version. I hear amazing covers by younger people where they're taking an old '80s hit and they've slowed it down. Super, you know, mm. where it's not even the same song anymore, but really cool. 
yeah, I mean, be creative. I find I see a ton of creativity out there. You know, when I when I'm hearing recorded music, so obviously people are doing that. But starting out, you know, you don't have to copy things exactly. Let your filter play a factor in that and make that cover your own. Um, you know, change it up if something doesn't quite feel right to you. You know, the rhythmically or or the way you sing it, phrasing or whatever. Yeah, make it your own. Don't be afraid of that ever. I would say, um, go see. All the music you can see live. Go go see other people all the time because it's such an inspirational source. Mm-hmm. And you get, I got so many ideas and and knowledge base from doing that. And I would I think that's you know would be great for anybody. It would not be music, whatever it is you like doing. Go watch people that do it well and 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 incorporate that and, and learn from that. Um, and you know and get yourself out there. Don't don't be afraid to share if you've got something you think is worth sharing. Don't be afraid to share it. You know whatever. Go to the farmer's market. Do it. It was great re-education for me to play at those, you know, just with people wandering by. Who knows what you get? Somebody wants your car. They want you to play at their house, whatever, you know, and you get a gig out of it. And there's something to be said for exposure. As a pro, it's, it's not something you're looking for anymore. But, you know, when you're starting out, you're going to have to be exposed somewhere. You know, you got to get out there one way or another. And um, so don't be afraid to, to share, I would say. That's great. Thanks so much for doing this, Jeff. No problem, Michael. Thanks for having me. All right. Maybe uh, one of these times is, uh, you know, maybe we can get you back on one of these times. All right. You're going to have to sing, uh, you know, backups then on the next song. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll make it happen. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. I love you. I love you. Okay. I'll talk to you later. I will talk to you later. Okay. Bye. And that's going to do it for this episode of Beyond the Band. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are now on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and many others, so check those out. And if you like the show, please leave a rating and review. That helps more people find us. And after you do that, please tell a friend. Finally, if you haven't already, please follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Beyond the Band Pod. And we're also on the web at beyondthebandpod.com. Thank you.